Chapter 14 of The Four Pools Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Four Pools Mystery by Jean Webster. Chapter 14 The Jury's Verdict. My first glance about the room the next morning showed me only too plainly what direction the inquiry was going to take. In the farther corner, half hidden by Madison's broad back, sat Clancy, the Washington detective. I recognized him with an angry feeling of discouragement. If we were to have his version of the stolen bonds, Radnor's last hope of gaining public sympathy was gone. Radnor was the first person to be called to the stand. He had not noticed the detective, and I did not have a chance to inform him of his presence. The coroner plunged immediately into the question of the robbery and the hand, and it was only too evident from Radnor's troubled eyes that it was a subject he did not wish to talk about. "'You have recently had a robbery at your house, Mr. Gaylord?' "'Yes.' "'Please describe just what was stolen.' Five bonds, government four per cents, a bag of coin, about twenty dollars in all, and two deeds and an insurance policy. You have not been able to trace the thief? No. In spite of every effort? Well, we naturally looked into the matter. But you have been able to form no theory as to how the bonds were stolen? No, I have no theory whatever. You employed a detective, I believe. Yes. And he arrived at no theory? Radnor hesitated visibly while he framed an answer. He arrived at no theory which successfully covered the facts. But he did have a theory as to the whereabouts of the bonds, did he not? Yes, but it was without any foundation, and I prefer not to go into it. The coroner abandoned the point. Mr. Gaylord, there has lately been a rumour among the Negroes working at your place, in regard to the appearance of a ghost, has there not? Yes. Can you offer any light on the subject? The Negroes are superstitious and easily frightened. When the rumour of a ghost gets started, it grows the most of the stories existed only in their own imaginations. You believe, then, that there was no foundation whatever to any of the stories? I should rather not go into that. Mr. Gaylord, do you believe that the ghost had any connection with the robbery? No, I do not. Do you think that the ghost had any connection with the murder of your father? No, said Radnor. That is all. Mr. Gaylord, James Clancy. At the name, Radnor suddenly raised his head and half turned back as if to speak, but thinking better of it, he resumed his chair and watched the approach of the detective with an angry frown. Clancy did not glance at Radnor, but gave his evidence in a quick, incisive way which forced the breathless attention of everyone in the room. He told without interruption the story of his arrival at Four Pools, 
and his conclusions in regard to the ha'nt and the theft. He omitted, however, all mention of the letter. Am I to understand that you never made your conclusions known to Colonel Gaylord? The coroner asked. No, I had been employed by him, but I thought under the circumstances it was kinder to leave him in ignorance. That was a generous stand to take. I suppose you lost something in the way of a fee? The detective looked slightly uncomfortable over the question. Well, no, as it happened, I didn't. There was a sort of cousin, Mr. Crosby, he nodded toward me, visiting in the house, and he footed the bill. He seemed to think the young man hadn't intended to steal, and that it would be pleasanter all round if I left it for them to settle between themselves. I protest, I cried. I distinctly stated my conviction that Radnor Gaylord knew nothing of the bonds, and I paid him to get rid of him because I did not wish him troubling Colonel Gaylord with any such made-up story. Mr. Clancy is testifying, observed the coroner. Now, Mr. Clancy, as I understand it, you discovered, as you supposed, the guilty man, and instead of going to your employer with the story and receiving your pay from him, you accepted it from the person you had accused, or at least from his friend. I've explained the circumstances. It was a mere matter of accommodation. I suppose you know what such accommodation is called. If you mean it was blackmail, that's false. At least, he added quickly, relapsing into good nature, it was a mighty generous kind of blackmail. I could have got my pay fast enough from the colonel, but I didn't want to stir up trouble. We all know that it isn't the innocent who pay blackmail, he added parathetically. Do you mean to insinuate that Mr. Crosby is implicated? Lord, no. He's as innocent as a lamb. Young Gaylord was too smart for him. He hoodwinked him, as well as the colonel, into believing the bonds were stolen while he was out of the house. A smile ran across the room, and the detective was excused. I sprung to my feet. One moment, I said. I should like to ask Mr. Clancy some questions. The young man was turned over to me, plainly against his wishes. What proof have you, Mr. Clancy, that the bonds were not stolen while Mr. Gaylord was out of the house? Well, my investigations led me to the belief that he stole them, and that being the case, it must have been done before he left the house. I see. And your investigations concern themselves largely with a letter that you filch from Mr. Gaylord's coat pocket in the night, did they not? Not entirely. The letter merely struck me as corroborative evidence, though I have since learned... Mr. Clancy, I interrupted sternly, did you not tell me at the time that the letter was absolute proof of his guilt, yes or no? I may have said so, but... Mr. Clancy, will you kindly repeat what was in that letter? It referred to some bonds. I don't know, but I can recall the exact words. Then I must request you to read it. I returned picking it out from a bundle of papers on the table and handing it to him. 
I am sorry to take up so much time with a matter that has nothing to do with the murder, I added to the coroner, but you yourself brought up the subject, and it is only fair to hear the whole story. He nodded permission, and ordered Clancy to read the letter. The detective did so admits an astonished hush. It struck everyone as a proof of guilt, and no one could understand why I had forced it to the front. Now, Mr. Clancy, said I, please tell the jury Mr. Gaylord's explanation of this letter. Clancy, with a somewhat sheepish air, gave the gist of what Radnor had said. Did you believe that story when you first heard it? I asked. No, said he, I did not, because... Very well, but you later went to the office of Jacoby Haight and Company, and looked over the files of their correspondence with Radnor Gaylord, and verified his statement in every particular, did you not? Yes, I did, but still. That is all I wish to ask, Mr. Clancy. I think the reason is evident, I added, turning to the jury, why I was willing to pay in order to get rid of him. Nobody's character, nobody's correspondence was safe while he was in the house. The detective retired amidst general laughter, and I could see that feeling had veered again in Radnor's favour. The total effect of the evidence respecting the hand and the robbery was good rather than bad, and I more than fancied that I was indebted to the sheriff for it. Radnor was not called again, and that was the end of the testimony in regard to him. The rest of the time was taken up with a consideration of Cat Eye Mose and some other further questioning of the Negroes in regard to the hand. Old Nancy created considerable diversion with her account of the spirited roast chicken. It had changed materially since I heard it last. She was emphatic in her statement that Mars Rad didn't have nothing to do with him. He was a show-nuffant, and his garments smelt of the graveyard. The evidence respecting Mose brought out nothing of any consequence, and with that the hearing was brought to a close. The coroner instructed the jury on two or three points of the law, and ended with the brief formula. You have heard the testimony given by these witnesses. It remains for you to do your duty. After an interminable half-hour, the jurymen filled back to their seats, and the clerk read the verdict. We find that the said Richard Gaylord came to his death in Luray Cavern, on the 19th day of May, by cerebral hemorrhage, the result of a wound inflicted by some blunt weapon in the hands of a person or persons unknown. We recommend that Radnor Fanshaw Gaylord be held for trial before the grand jury. Rad appeared dazed at the verdict, though in the face of the evidence and his own stubborn refusal to explain it, I don't see how he could have expected any other outcome. As for myself, it was better than I had feared. End of chapter 14